right now, this is what he's spoken to me about. So if you want to go to Luke, um, Gospel of Luke. Um, There's so many um, amazing things about the Gospel of Luke. We don't have time to talk about what makes it different from the other Gospels. Um, But I I just love how Luke starts. You know, we know a little bit about Jesus' early years, don't we? And we don't really get that in any other gospel. And um, the, the genealogy, you know, that really exciting chapter where it kind of lists, you know, all the way back to Adam. You know, that's kind of like in chapter three, which is a little bit weird. Uh, Matthew, it's the first chapter. But Luke does that purposely. He links Jesus to Adam. And then Jesus is tempted by the devil. And like Adam, who was tempted by the devil, um, and you know what happened the whole of his genealogy was cursed. Jesus is tempted by the devil, but, but this time Jesus doesn't fall. Jesus doesn't give in, and Jesus redeems this um, genealogy. He, he, he makes it new again. He, he makes us a new creation. And then so chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Um, So far in Luke's gospel, we don't really know much about Jesus um, in the sense that um, Jesus hasn't healed anyone yet. Okay, There might be some sort of rumors going around that Jesus has healed people, but um, as far as we know, up until this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus hasn't healed anyone. So my question is when I read that, why is his fame spreading? And by the way, we love our little making Jesus famous. That's our slogan as a church, right? Um, and, 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 and that word there, um, the news spread about him, that word, it's actually a Greek word, fami, which means fame. Uh, and I learned that, and I thought, oh, it's great. So Jesus being famous is actually in the Bible. We didn't just make it up. We are making him famous. And that's where we get the word from. Uh, and so Jesus' fame is spreading. And why? What, why, what, why is he drawing attention to himself? What's he doing? The, what's the next verse say? He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He was teaching, and they praised him. They, they, they glorified him. They, they gave him glory. Jesus was teaching, and, and they, they saw something special about Jesus. They, 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 they started to see that this isn't a normal guy. This is someone quite special. And all of us in this room, I'm sure, whether at university or, or high school, whatever, we've all had teachers that we don't like. That's, that's, you know, that's the honest way of saying it. You might say, I didn't like their teaching style. But let's be honest, all right? we've all had teachers we just didn't like. And, and it doesn't help, does it, when you're trying to learn something, especially when it's a difficult subject and you don't like your teacher, you're not going to learn. And I bet all of us in this room, however, have one teacher that we just loved. It was our favorite teacher. There was that one teacher who just had the ability. Damien's like, I am my own favorite teacher. <laughs> Um, but we all had that one teacher, right? Um, Damien's a teacher, by the way. And, and so I, I had a teacher. I won't name him. But um, he taught maths. And, and for years, I really struggled with maths, um, which is weird, isn't it? Because everyone loves maths, don't they? It's like the best subject ever. Uh, well, they do, apparently. People do love maths. Um, so I, I really struggled with maths. And then this one teacher came along, and there was something about him. He was, suddenly, maths became really exciting. 
and he was really animated and charismatic, and he was just, people loved him. People loved this teacher, and he was great one-on-one with you, really spent time with you, and, and before I knew it, I really enjoyed maths, and I got really good at maths. And, and it was something about his passion for mathematics that was contagious, and then I just suddenly got passionate about maths. It's really, really powerful, isn't it, when you have a good teacher? Um, for generations, Jews had been um, sitting in synagogues listening to different teachers sort of explaining the Hebrew scriptures to them. Um, but then this Jesus guy came along, and there's something really refreshing and exciting about Jesus's teaching. Um, he seems to be bringing the scriptures alive again, and people are getting excited. Um, so often when we see sort of brilliance in people, you know, you could watch the X Factor and you know, the auditions, and then they're just absolutely fantastic. So, so often when we see brilliance, we, just, we assume it comes naturally, like there was no hard work. They just got up on stage and, wow, blew everyone away. Um, but Jesus, he, he had years of preparation. Um, he had years of practice, years of studying the scriptures and, and, and years of praying and, and, and fasting. And Jesus seemed to, actually, Jesus seemed to be in the habit of preaching in synagogues and impressing people. Um, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus, um, when his parents are kind of pulling uh, their hair out, trying to find their 12-year-old son, Jesus, um, he's found, isn't he, in the temple. And we read that Jesus was um, just causing the religious leaders in, in the temple to be astounded at the things this 12-year-old boy was saying. It was incredible, the questions he was asking, the things that he was saying. People were just blown away at this 12-year-old boy teaching in the synagogue. And the Bible says um, right there, Jesus, even Jesus um, grew in stature and um, wisdom with man, but also with God. And so for years, Jews, just imagine it, would be sat in synagogues um, week after week dreading, oh, not another sermon on Leviticus. Just kind of that dreaded walk to the synagogue. And then Jesus comes along and and teaches on Leviticus. This is all hypothetical. I'm using my imagination a lot tonight. But Jesus comes along and teaches on Leviticus. And then all of a sudden, it's their favorite book, right? And they love Leviticus. They they love Leviticus. They can't stop reading Leviticus. And uh, and it's their favorite book. And and so the crowds gather and, and the word spreads. And people get really excited about their new favorite teacher. And... Someone who can excite them, explain things, use everyday illustrations, and but more importantly, somebody who's actually worthy to be glorified, to be praised. And Jesus will go on to do plenty of signs and wonders and other amazing things. But Luke wants to show us that first and foremost, Jesus has come to teach us something. He's come to draw meaning out of scripture, he's come to bring it to life, he's come to explain it, and he's come to make sense of God's purpose and his plan for all of us. Um, and I really believe tonight, you know, um, in the worship, but even now, Jesus is coming to us at, with a message in everyday life. Um, and so maybe there's an area in your life that you don't quite understand. Maybe there's something in your life that puzzles you. It could be um, maybe there's a discomfort or a concern or, or a worry. Jesus, your teacher... Listen to him. Ask him in every situation, and I do this. Jesus, teach me about this situation. Teach me, tell me, 
give me wisdom. Um, brilliant. So um, let's keep reading, shall we? Verse 16. It's all going great in Jesus' first day in the ministry. And, and he went to Nazareth. Um, so um, for those who, of you who don't know Jesus, that's where, that's, that's where he's from. And where he'd been brought up, and, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Okay, Jesus comes home, right? He, he probably knows everyone in the synagogue, and everyone in the synagogue probably knows Jesus quite well. And they would have seen Jesus growing up, kicking a football around, whatever. You know, they would have seen Jesus growing up. They would have known him before he could walk. They would have known Jesus before he could talk. They, they knew Jesus really well. And... And they probably even heard a little bit of rumors about Jesus and his incredible Holy Spirit-led teaching. What's it say? So he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. This is completely normal. Um, people, different guys, get up, read the scripture, and then they debate it. That's what happens Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. This is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Awesome. Some of you might know that the book of Isaiah, throughout the book of Isaiah, there's this kind of mysterious anointed figure who, um, who will come and bring God's kingdom. Um, Isaiah 61 is actually a really popular book, uh, sorry, really popular chapter to go to when you're talking about God's future kingdom. Uh, this, this chapter talks about, we've just read it, haven't we? God will send this kind of anointed king who will come and bring his kingdom and, and his rule and, and his reign and, and this kingdom. Uh, in this kingdom, all people will be invited in. Everyone, um, whoever you are, God, God's acting and he's sending a Messiah and all people are welcomed into his kingdom. Not just the rich and the favoured, but, but those people who are kind of like on the edges of society, the poor, the people who don't really have a, a voice, those who are bound up in sin and, and addiction. Um, those people will all come and know a king who doesn't just bring freedom, but he is freedom. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. So this isn't like, you know, like a mic drop. That's, this isn't a mic drop. Um, people in, in that culture, when they sit down, they're just about to start teaching. Um, and so it's kind of the opposite to what we do. Um, if, if I was preaching, which I am, I'd be sat down, you'd all be stood up. And that's kind of how it, how it was. So Jesus is uh, he's just about to get started. This is what it says. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. So they probably, like I said, probably heard the rumors of this awesome teacher. And they might even be looking forward to what he's about to say. They might even be a little bit proud of their own little Nazarene, yeah, prodigy. Come on, Jesus. Finally, something good will come out of Nazareth. Come on, Jesus, don't let us down. Say something really awesome. Come on, show us some of this awesome teaching that, that we've heard about. Watch what happens. This is the shortest sermon you'll ever hear. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that's the mic drop, okay? 
Jesus like scandalously, unbelievably says that this passage isn't talking about a future king and a future kingdom. It's talking about me, right? I'm the anointed one. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm the one who's um, going to bring this age of salvation, the year of the Lord's favor. I, I'm the one who's going to set the prisoners free. I'm the one who's going to help the people who are sick. I'm going to comfort them and heal them. I'm going to set those free who are stuck in sin and addiction. That's who I am. This is Jesus' job description. This is his mission statement. Um, what does Jesus' kingdom look like? Um, you might have heard, I teach on this a lot, but... The Jews of Jesus' day, they knew the kingdom was coming. They, 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 they knew it was coming. Some Jews actually um, went off in hiding in a place called Qumran because they, they actually sensed that the Messiah was going to come and they hid in, hid in caves, basically, separating themselves from society. So there was something happening. People, people thought something was going to happen. But the majority of the Jews... They, they thought that this king, this Messiah that, that would come would be like a political figure. Okay, so um, you might know that the, the Jews currently don't have their own kind of political authority and political freedoms. They're actually under Roman rule, okay? So, so, so that's how they have to live. They're under oppression. Um, and so the Jews, you know, they thought Jesus, not Jesus, well, yeah, kind of. They thought that a Messiah was going to come who would put an end to all of this, would probably have a big army and, and would get rid of all the, uh, all the officials and, uh, and the politicians and would establish a kingdom. And it would look like that. Um, what I find really interesting is the place Jesus stopped reading in Isaiah 61. Verse 19, what's it say? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Full stop. But if, if you actually read Isaiah 61... It doesn't end there. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, why did Jesus not read that bit? Um, you see, the Jews wanted vengeance. They, they, they wanted God's judgment to come on, on, on their enemies and, and completely wipe them out. That's what the Jews wanted. They wanted God's kingdom to be this political kingdom and, and laws and, and, like I said, a big army. But I believe Jesus left this verse out, not because he doesn't think the day of God's um, judgment will come, because it will, but because right now Jesus has come to bring the good news to those outside of Israel. That, that Jesus says, I've not, I've not come to, to punish these nations. I, I've not come to bring my wrath on these people. I've not come to destroy your enemies. Actually, I've come to bring God's love and God's grace and God's salvation to your enemies. It's called good news. Um, I keep asking that question. What does Jesus' kingdom look like? Um, you know, we live in really interesting times. Two and a half years ago, Britain voted in favor to withdraw from the European Union, if you didn't know. Um, shorthand called Brexit, right? It's not what I'm talking about. Good. So, um, if anything, Brexit's kind of showed how divided our country is. It wasn't a majority vote. It's really, really tight. And two and a half years later, can you believe two and a half years later, um, we're still part of the EU. <laughs> and, and withdrawal is, is still impending. Um, and, and on the news and the press, kind of on a daily basis, they take us on this narrative, like the story of Brexit. 
um, the twists and the turns? Is it undemocratic to have a second vote? Is it undemocratic to not have a second vote? Right? The, the debate keeps on going. Um, and so over the next couple of years, no one knows uh, quite where Britain will be politically, economically. Um, what are we meant to do as Christians? And what's our responsibility? What's, um, what's Jesus' kingdom have to say about all of this? Some of you might think, um, well, we need Jesus to come and overthrow the government and establish a Christian government. Then all of our problems will be sorted and Brexit will just be forgotten about. You know, I find it really interesting that Jesus, in all of the Gospels, never speaks out against any political structures or specific leaders. Quite interesting, that, isn't he? Never badmouths anyone. Um, now, one or two of us in this room might get a chance to influence politics positively, and, and that's really important, isn't it? We need that in, in politics. But for the rest of us, what's the, what's the kingdom look like? Um, how can we make a difference? What can we do post-Brexit? What can we do? This is what we can do. You ready? We can proclaim good news to the poor. We can proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. We can set the oppressed free. Um, we can proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, the question isn't, are you a Brexiteer or a Remainer? The question is, how are we going to bring God's kingdom in this world? That's the question. Um, in the next chapter in Luke, um, one of Jesus' first moves in building his kingdom is to draw disciples to himself. And he calls them to kind of live differently from the world. And this is how we make a difference. And this is how we bring the kingdom, right? We are drawn to Christ. Okay, we, we get drawn to Christ. And he becomes our teacher. And then he sends us out to bring the kingdom. That's how it works. And so the church is actually the hope of the world. A lot of pressure, isn't it? You know, post-Brexit, fortunately, the politicians, they, they do a great job, but that's not our hope. The hope of the, we're the hope of the world, right? The church, the kingdom of God, we're the hope of the world. We're the people who's meant to be bringing the, the true kingdom of God. And let's keep reading, shall we? At verse 22. It says all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. So they weren't amazed in the sense, wow, they're basically shocked at what he's saying. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. You know, familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? Isn't this Joseph's son? This isn't the Messiah. This is Joseph's son. This is little Jesus. How quick are we to sort of celebrate and worship the new and exciting, mysterious people um, who we know nothing about but when it comes to our own families, we, we seem to kind of like play down anything over spectacular, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, it's, easy, it's easy, isn't it, for strangers to come along and impress us. But when it's our own family, no, you need to work really hard. Um, 
Imagine how hard it was for Jesus to kind of convince his brothers and sisters that he was the Messiah. That's a hard one, isn't it? And for those of you in the room who are brothers and sisters, you can probably understand this a little bit easier. This is never going to happen. But if my brother came up to me and he said, Josh, I'm the Messiah. Yeah? I would need a lot of convincing. Right? I would probably say, right then. Go and heal that person. Yeah? And he would go and heal the person. And you know what I'll say? I'm sorry, you didn't do it quick enough. You, you can't be the Messiah. You would have done it better and quicker. And, and you see, I, I just want to kind of point out all of the uh, flaws in my brother. Because um, he's my brother and it's just wrong if he gets to be the Messiah and I don't, right? <laughs> There's something wrong about that. Um, so I constantly, constantly be looking at the error, right? Because he's my brother. Um, familiarity breeds contempt. And so, and so the Jews are saying, here, go on then, Jesus, prove it. Heal yourself. Yeah, prove it. People are always more ready, aren't they, to see gratitude, uh, sorry, just to, to see greatness in strangers than, than those we, they know really well. Um, and so I want to ask us, what about one another, okay, our community, people in this room? Um, how quick are we to see errors and flaws in one another? How quick are we to see the humanity in one another? When in reality, there's so much that God has um, blessed each and every one of us, isn't there? Um, God blesses us as a community. He, he gives us anointed leaders, people with pastoral gifts, people, the gift of hospitality. You know, he blesses us. We've seen tonight an awesome worship team. Yeah? Awesome worship leaders, right? But that's just Tawella. Right? Isn't that Josh's wife? Yeah? You know, what if we instead, what if we saw the anointing and the gift of God in Tuella? What if we honored and praised God for that gift? Um, I want to show a picture you might have seen before. Has everyone seen this? What do you see? So put your hands up if you see a black and blue dress. Oh my goodness, it's unbelievable. (laughs) Put your hand up if you see a golden white dress. Look around, people. Leah sees a purple one, but I don't think that's an option. So February 2015, this was an internet sensation, right? Um, I just Googled the dress. It's got its own Wikipedia page, the dress. Um, now, it's actually been confirmed that the true color of this dress is black and blue. The true, no, the true color of the dress is black and blue. They actually made a gold and white one for charity as a joke, but the true color is black and blue. So this is the mystery, isn't it, of sort of human perception, and it continues to fascinate neuroscientists and still quite, quite don't really understand why. Um, the color of the dress never changes. It's just our perception of it. 
Um, I want to encourage us, um, let's um, not have different perceptions of one another. Okay, let's not kind of fight against one another and say, you know, I like this person. And this someone else says, I don't like this person. Let's not do that, right? Let's see the, 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 the good in people. Let's choose to see people for who God's made them to be. Um, let's not concentrate on one another's flaws. Let's choose to see the gift in one another and, and value and praise that, yeah? Amen? Um, if, if, so if you think that Jesus had gotten himself, maybe move, maybe change the slide because we're just going to keep going, that's not white and gold. <laughs> if you thought Jesus had gotten into himself uh, in a bit of trouble, it's about to get a whole lot worse. If you want to go to verse 25, I'm assuming that's the next verse. It says this, um, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel, this is Jesus speaking, in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. So Elijah wasn't sent to Israel, um, but he was sent to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Did, did you get that? What's Jesus saying? Um, Jesus is saying something really shocking um, to his relatives, his family, the people in the synagogue. Um, he's saying something pretty epic. Um, what's he saying? He's saying that, listen, God's kingdom, God's goodness, it isn't coming to serve you, right? It's, it's, he's not going to come and free you from Roman oppression. God's kingdom um, is here and now, and it's for outsiders. It's for you as well, but it's, it's for outsiders. He's, he's come for those outside of Israel, for the poor, for the prisoners, for the oppressed, for the non-Jews. And so in the same way that, that God didn't send Elijah or Elisha to Israel, God sent Jesus, not to Israel, but for those outside of Israel. The kingdom of God is, is coming to bring salvation to all, including your enemies, which isn't really easy to hear, is it? Try and imagine that. Hundreds of years, Romans killing your family members, persecuting you, oppressing you, and you're holding on to Isaiah, and you're like, God's going to come and bring his kingdom and set us free from this oppression. And Jesus says, no, you've been reading it wrong. He's going to come and bring his kingdom for those outside, including your enemies, right? <laughs> I'm going to give salvation to your enemies. Um, it's pretty hard, isn't it? Are we supposed to just love the Romans now? Best friends of the Romans? Yeah. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove Jesus out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Pretty amazing. Um, this is quite a sad story, really. Jesus just kind of, um, Jesus will go on to do really great things. We'll read that, won't we? Yeah, different towns, do amazing things. But it's just at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, in the very beginning, he's, he goes to his hometown to see his friends, family, cousins, aunties, uncles. And they reject him and try and kill him, right? It's a pretty sad story. The community that raised Jesus now rejects him. I really believe God gives every single person a chance to respond to Jesus, doesn't he? We all have a chance. Um, when confronted with Jesus and his gospel, we all have a chance um, to trust in him or reject him, throw him off a, a cliff. We all have that opportunity. 
And I want to pray for us. So if you'd like to bow your head and we'll do that. I'll pray for a couple of groups of people. And firstly, if you're in here tonight and you don't yet know Jesus, um, I'm going to give you a chance now to respond. God, I thank you. Um, Thank you for who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you're our teacher. You guide us through your word and in everyday situations we can, we can draw on you. Thank you that you come with a message that you're the king of this awesome kingdom. Thank you that you invite us into your kingdom family. And so I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord. Pray for your spirit to fill them right now. Pray for your forgiveness to come, cover them. Pray for your wholeness to come. But God, I also pray for anyone in this room who, who like Jesus, has experienced rejection. You know, maybe it's from our own families. I really believe there's people in here who, your family are not Christians. And whenever you visit them, you feel as if you have to try and prove your Christianness. Maybe you feel pressure in the workplace. They know you're a Christian and, and you wonder, what if I accidentally join in with the gossip? What if they hear me swear accidentally and they say, hey, I thought you were a Christian? Maybe you're aware of that pressure and so you're really trying to be relevant and you, you go out drinking with your workmates in an attempt to try and be relevant. Or maybe like Jesus, you, you shared the gospel once and the rejection was too hard for you and haven't really tried it again since so God I just pray right now God for all of these situations and for confidence boldness security in you to have that same security Jesus had the devil said to Jesus if you really are the son of man he goes after his identity God I thank you that you give us identity in who we are in Christ I just pray for that authenticity right now. Thank you, God, for your amazing kingdom. We, we pray your kingdom come. Bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.